I see a lot of people who don't have a plan at all. And that's where I was, right? Like I kind of fell into the digital nomad life. And so for a long time, I was um, traveling paycheck to paycheck. You know, I would earn money, I would spend money, earn money, spend money. And my my budget, if you could call it that, was whatever I made was what I was going to spend that month, right? Like if you're on that side of the spectrum, I always encourage people to come up with three types of budgets. So I call them the ramen noodle budget, the Netflix budget, and the luxury budget. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshavsky, and welcome to episode 132 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Jules Costa, a digital nomad and personal finance mentor. I first met Jules on Instagram a few months ago and since then have really enjoyed Jules' down-to-earth advice to personal finances relating to the digital nomad lifestyle, which is something that the nomad world needs 100%. Most financial advice doesn't fit as neatly for those of us who run our own business and change locations every couple of months. You will learn three important things from this interview. Number one, why digital nomads tend to follow a winding career path unlike their corporate contemporaries. Number two, the importance of mentorship and the number one tip that will make you get noticed by industry leaders and increase the chances of them mentoring you. And finally, number three, Jules shares with us their three digital nomad budget formula and how to save for retirement as a location independent professional or entrepreneur. Now, before we jump into the interview, however, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Nomad Insider. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email with all the top news from the digital nomad world so you never get left out. From upcoming conferences in new digital nomad visas to technology breakthroughs and the newest developments in remote work, this is the easiest way to become a digital nomad insider. It's 100% free and you can sign up at thatremotelife.com forward slash nomad insider. Finally, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are still a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. And with that out of the way, you guys, let's dive into this awesome interview with Jules Costa. All right, Jules, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. I feel like we've been, uh, like I've been following you for a while on Instagram now and kind of like seeing all the content that you put out all about personal finance. So I'm so stoked to have you on here, learn more about your story and hopefully you can teach us how we can manage our money because I know that's a big struggle with everyone, (laughs) every one of us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mitko. I'm really excited to be here. 
So I want to start off first to talk about the Tulsa remote experience, because this is something that has been on my radar for a little bit. And I think you might be one of the first people that I'm having on the podcast who's actually gone through that experience. Uh, that might not be correct, but right now we'll go with you being the first one on uh, that's been through that. Can you let people know a little bit about what the Tulsa remote program is and like why did you decide to participate in it in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So Tulsa Remote is a remote incentive program um, where they're incentivizing remote workers to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and it's it's privately funded, which is interesting. They definitely work with the city a lot, but it's um, funded. I can't remember the name of the foundation right now, but it's privately funded. And they basically give you $10,000 to live here for a year. Um, and along with that, they give you lot, lots of different perks. So for example, we have a co-working pass Monday through Friday. Um, we have a bunch of different events, like they'll give us tickets to the symphony, the ballet, whatever, so that you can really experience Tulsa. And a few questions that I get about it. It's a, it's a one-year commitment. Uh, you don't have to like stay in the city 365 days a year. You can still travel. You can still, you know, go work wherever you want to work. Um, but you are required to have a an address within the city limits. So um, that's that's kind of the the A, B, and C of the program. Why I specifically chose to come here. Um, I've always been a digital nomad. I usually move three to four times a year, so I, I enjoy moving. I don't have my own furniture or anything like that. It's not hard for me to move. And when I heard about the program and saw the opportunity to connect with other people who had a similar lifestyle to me and had similar values to me, I, I jumped on it, right? And you know, the money doesn't hurt as well, but I think that the bigger draw for me was coming to the city and meeting other people who were digital nomads and meeting other people who had started businesses and um, really getting that community feel because it it can get lonely being a digital nomad sometimes. And the more people that you meet um, IRL or online, the better off that you are. Yeah, I love that program because it's such a great way for Midwestern cities to attract these people that are now in a position of like, hey, maybe I don't have to live in New York because my job is remote. So where else can I go? And I think that what Tulsa has done is really kind of like create a playbook of like, hey, here's how you can do this, right? I mean, I don't know yes. if exactly it would work the same way anymore because been done, you know, done that, been, you know, whatever. But I think that it is a great way. It shows that people will move to new places and explore new places if they're given the opportunity to. So I think that that's really, really cool. But you mentioned that you're a digital nomad, that you love to move. So before we kind of like hear more about your you know, your business and, you know, all of your tips for uh, personal finance. What made you want to become a digital nomad? It's, I, I'm always very curious <laughs> to hear how people ended up in that, in that world. Yeah. So it was a little bit of everything. My story kind of started in college. Um, I went to college, started off as a chemistry major, ended as a gender studies major. So <laughs> you can see that there's, there's a lot of <laughs> ups and downs just there. I started um, I started out in biotechnology and ended up in creative writing. So, yeah. you know, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I and it's exactly that. It's just like progressive burnout, I think from being in institutions like that. Um and not to say that it's wrong for everyone, but I think it was not the right choice for me. I kind of just did it because 
you know, my parents and everybody were like, okay, you have to go get an undergrad degree. So um, I did that, got my bachelor's um, and I was just like not ready to go into the workforce. And so I um, moved to Brazil with my partner at the time and we just did a trip down the coast. So we didn't have like a whole ton of savings. We were definitely scraping by sometimes, um, but we were using Workaway, um, Airbnb and just like Facebook groups to travel really cheaply um, within Brazil. And that was a a really awesome experience. Um, And then when the money ran out, I still wasn't ready. (laughs) I was like, I'm like, I don't want to go back into the United States and go into the workforce because I was talking to my friends and, you know, they were making decent salaries. They were making like 40, 50 K. And they were telling me like, oh, like if, if my parents weren't helping me pay my uh, car bills, or if they weren't helping me pay my rent, then I would be broke right now. Like I would be in like in even more debt right now. Um, and so, you know, I, I applied to a few jobs. I like thought about it, but the numbers just didn't work out. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not really ready to go back to the U S I'm not really ready to like scrape by and take on debt and do all of that. So I decided to become an au pair and go to Germany and, when I did that, that kind of introduced me to the digital world and how I could make money online just just by virtue of the, the types of people that I was meeting there. Um, and that kind of set the trajectory for the rest of my life where I was like, oh, wait, like, I don't I don't have to go to a city. I don't have to buy a car. I don't have to, you know, do a, a year long lease. Um, and now now I'm here. So <laughs> that's kind of the yeah, short think- story. I think a lot of people getting started, this definitely happened with us where, you know, we entered the digital nomad quote unquote world before we had careers, right? So like I mm-hmm. dropped out of college. I basically said I will not go into an office. So I like worked as like a <laughs> lifeguard and a bunch of weird things while trying to scrape together like an online income. And then when we did go remote, like our friends had jobs and they had like salaries and like, you know, 401ks and like whatnot. And there, you have this feeling of like, oh my God, am I throwing my life away? Have I yes. made the wrong decision? Because maybe in the very beginning, you're not making a ton of money. And it's very funny because my wife talks about having this conversation with a friend of hers. And you know, at the time we were just getting started, we were barely scraping by. And her friend said, um, I think my wife told her that like the amount of money she's spending on rent on her nice apartment is like more than like what you know my wife was making at the time. And like her friend said, like I would give it all away in a second because I hate my life already. And I think that that, you know, it's, it was such a like big moment for us of like, okay, like maybe we're not fucking it up. You know what I mean? All this kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you have this uh, experience of going to an au pair and traveling and trying out all these different things, because I find that that is a very common thing that a lot of us digital nomads have gone through. You know, most people go and they go to college, they get a degree and then they get a job right away. And a lot of people I feel like that end up where we're at now have to go through this like weird period of like, I don't know what the hell is really going on, but I'm just kind of like trying to make my way through. Why do you think that is? Like, why don't you think that it's as easy for us to kind of like just get out of college and become digital nomads? And almost like it feels like we all have to go through like a one, two year period of just like, I don't really know what's going on, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean remote work the internet is not that old right like and the internet as we know it is super young right like 
um, I mean, there were definitely people who were creating e-commerce businesses and, you know, launching SaaS applications and whatever um, in the early 2000s. But we're in the midst of um, the no code movement, right? We're in the midst of like right now you can go and you can create an online business without ever knowing how to program anything. And that is super, super new. And there's new tools being created um, every day, really, um, that are helping people generate income online, right? Or, or like help other people online and be productive online and creating these little communities online, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, even we're, we're using Zencaster right now, right? And Zencaster is an awesome podcasting platform that really automates a lot of the process. Like this just doesn't, it didn't exist. Like people used to like upload file, like record podcasts on Audacity, and then they would have to like upload the file and you'd have to you know, make the file sound good. And like, it's all of these different skills that you needed to create the same product that now you can create almost automatically, almost like in the snap of a finger. So um, I think that that's one thing is that the opportunities are expanding. And the other thing is that, right, there's there's not really a, a, a route. We're really forging, <laughs> right? We're, we're at the frontier. We're, we're forging the future. And I think you know, you look at Gen Z and Gen Z is just like on it, right? Like they're, they're like 18 years old starting all of these businesses, but it's because they have a whole generation of people ahead of them who have done this already, right? We can mentor them. We can give them information. Like I have my Instagram account and people follow me there and they learn from my mistakes and they learn from my path. Um, you know, that's not necessarily something that was that easy to find even five years ago. So um, yeah, for sure. I think our generation of digital nomads are, were kind of like, oh, what's going on? And um, now, especially with, you know, everything that happened in 2020, remote work is is finally like at a conscious level where now I think we're going to be seeing um, a lot more paths for people who intentionally want to do this. But back when you and I became digital nomads, right? Like, like who who are you following? Like, like you, you had to go into like, the dark corners of Reddit to figure out like, how do I do this stuff? Yeah. And I think like, like I always forget that I think I was a freshman in college when Instagram, like when I downloaded Instagram for the first time, you know, <laughs> and now that is like a part of the economy. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so many things that are built on top of Instagram. There's just like, you know, like from like, yes, there was Facebook, like Facebook came out in like what, like Oh seven, but really it took a few years for it to become like, Hey, I should download Facebook. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I was in like a yeah. sophomore in high school or a junior in high school, or something like that when that happened. And so like, yeah, like the world that we exist in now that our lives, that our businesses are, you know, income is layered on top of kind of didn't exist. And that's, I think we forget how little time has passed since then. Uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm sort of jealous that I'm not a Gen Zer because, you know, like I, I kind of enjoy the fact that like I was able to, you know, we're going to be able to tell these stories of like, oh, when I was younger, you know, <laughs> like, oh, like <laughs> but like, you know, I feel like Gen Zers now have so much opportunity at their fingertips. Uh, it, it's really incredible. I love it. And I'm a little jealous about it. <laughs> yeah. I had this key moment, um, with my brother. So my brother's two years younger than me, which doesn't seem like a lot, but um, like materially, we have very different lives. And I had this key moment where we were in Copenhagen together. So I was an own pair in Germany. He flew over from the US. We met in Copenhagen. And, you know, we're there. We're like, what are cool things to do? And I pull up Google like an old person and I'm like, top 10 things to do in Copenhagen. And my brother, 
just searches the hashtag on Instagram and he's like, here, we're going here. Look at how cool this is. And it's like, mm. right, a bunch of pictures of this really cool park that they have in Copenhagen. And that was nowhere on Google, right? I wasn't going to be able to search for that. And he was able to find that just because he had a, a type of digital literacy that I didn't have at that moment. And so it's it's really interesting how people wield the same uh, platforms in very different ways. Yeah, it's also crazy, like, you know, this is like a story that my dad always says of like when we moved to the United States, that was in like 2004. And my dad was trying to find the city that we we're moving to, which is Cincinnati, but Google wasn't a thing yet. Like he had to use like Alta Vista to like find it. And like he couldn't find it because he was spelling it incorrectly because Cincinnati has a double N in there. And so, you know, just so many things have changed and it's so exciting to kind of like see what's going to be happening. And now, you know, we're moving into like Web3 and it's, it's just going to be all crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. But you mentioned mentor. You mentioned that you, you know, you mentor, uh, you know, people who are on on Instagram who find you, kind of help them out and those things. But I also know that you had a very instrumental mentor in your life that kind of helped you get going. Can you tell that story? And what part does mentorship play? Like, how can people? find a mentor because I agree it's one of the most important relationships is to have somebody show you the ropes, but can you just kind of like tell us your story with mentorship and then like, how can other people go out there and find mentors of their own? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, mentorship is everything. And I do want to take the time and make it very clear. Like my mentor was not somebody that I paid money to, right? I was broke, 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 like real, like zeros in my bank account broke. Um, so I couldn't invest in like a thousand dollar course or whatever. Right. Um, my mentor, her name is Brooke Adams law. She is a writing coach and, um, I met her through a Facebook group. She was looking for a subcontractor, um, for a project. I think it was like April of 2019. She was looking for a subcontractor for a project. I hit her up. I sent her some examples of my work and that project she filled with a, another person, right? Like there was another person who was a better fit. Um, but at the end of her email saying that she had found another person, she said, you know, keep in touch with me. If there's something that fits like what you write, I'll send it your way. And <laughs> I, you know, I didn't really have any other options at that time. And I just took that to heart and I followed up with her for eight months. And it was like following up, just being like, Hey, like I'm here, like, just wanted to let you know that I'm still available. It was following up, just being like, happy holidays. If I saw something on her Facebook, um, like she, she had a, she had a child. Um, and I was like, Oh, like, congratulations on your kid. You know, like I was following up with her consistently, you know, not obnoxiously, but consistently. Um, for eight months. And then after eight months, finally, she was like, oh, I actually have an open project for you. Um, I I was charging $25 an hour at the time, which to, like, to me now is really funny. Um, but to me then it was life-changing, right? Like $25 an hour online like was mind-blowing to me. And it opened so many doors for me that she was really willing to not only give me projects and pay me for completing those projects, but if I sent her something and it wasn't up to par, she would create a video and she would show like video herself editing my stuff. So I just learned so much from her. And I really feel like it's my responsibility to share that with other people, share that type of mentorship for other people and not gatekeep that information, right? Because if she wasn't willing to to do that, I like, I don't, 
I don't know where I would be right now. Like genuinely, I don't know where I would be. Mm. Yeah, I think mentorship is so important like in today's world, because like you said, we don't have a clear path. Like there is like a system for everyone else, right? Like if you get out of college, you know exactly what to do. You know, you go get a job, you know, you get, it's going to suck for the next two years, but you know, you, you kind of have like a path for us. There really isn't that. And I'm very happy to see that some paths are starting to develop, but that is why mentorship is super, super key. And one of the really important things that I learned recently uh, that I've just never really thought about, which is kind of embarrassing. But somebody said to me is like, you know, when somebody asks for help, if you want to get mentored by someone and that mentor gives you a tip, right? Mm -hmm. They were telling me like, you'd be shocked to see how few people actually do what you recommend. And if you're somebody who is a mentor, who is like a higher level than someone else, you want somebody who is actually going to like take what you do and then go do it and then come back and let them know. So like that, I think is a really great tip for anyone who's looking for a mentor out there is like go out and find who it is. Don't expect them to like give you night and day right away. But if they give you some sort of tip, do it and then follow up and let them know how it went because that shows that you're like an action taker, right? Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, so I, (laughs) I tried to start a podcast and I interviewed Brooke (laughs) for my podcast. I have three episodes out um, and they're good episodes, but podcasting is a lot. So kudos to you. Um, but I interviewed Brooke and she, she told me, she was like, you know, I, I put that at the end of every email. Like I I put reach out later on every email and almost nobody takes it, takes me up on it. And Mm -hmm. she was like, the reason that I was willing to mentor you is because I saw myself in you. I saw that you were a go-getter and you know, you were relentless, right. In a positive sense, like you were relentless, like you wanted this information you were willing to put in the work. And that's why she was willing to work with me. And again, it was eight months, right? Like it's not a quick thing. And people want these like 30 day turnarounds, one week turnaround. And the truth of the matter is that no matter what industry you go into, digital nomad or not, relationships are the key. And you can't create relationships in, you know, you, you can start relationships in 30 days, but like you don't get married after 30 days, right? Typically, usually like you, you, you don't get married after eight days. And so following up and getting to know people is is really just key you have to be able mm. to build relationships yeah 100% that that that's so that's so true like for me like the people that you build really strong relationships with like they'll help you out when you need it you'll help them out it's 100% like one of those like what is it like your network is your net worth is like one of the truest yes. things ever um but i want to kind of shift because i know that you know we have uh, a specific end time and i want to talk a little bit about so you have you work as a content strategist which i think is really really cool you also have a like a quote unquote 9 to 5 job and um, just to ask you, do you also charge, because I know that you create a lot of content around like financial planning and that kind of stuff. Like, do you also offer services around that? No. So I'm, I'm not a financial planner um, or like a tax advisor or anything like that. I do have a free master class that I do um, and it's limited to three people just because I have a lot of other things on my plate. So it's limited to three people, but I open applications for those like once a quarter, um, usually. So like a few times a year. So any information that people get about freelancing from me is always going to be free. Um, and again, like, I, I just feel like that's my responsibility because I, I got it for free. Right. And so I, I want to give people the opportunity if they're serious about it to get information. 
Hey guys, we will be right back to the current episode, but first I want to take a quick second and tell you about another podcast I think you'd really enjoy called About Abroad, which is hosted by my friend Chase Warrington, who is actually a guest on That Remote Life back on episode 122. On About Abroad, Chase interviews expats, digital nomads, and remote work thought leaders from around the world to dive deep into how you can build a life beyond your borders. As an American that has lived in multiple countries and currently calls Spain home, he knows a thing or two about the challenges of creating a life abroad. Chase is also the head of Remote at Doist, one of the leading remote-first organizations, which you may know as the company behind the popular task manager to Doist, and taps into his connections in the remote world to bring on some really, really great guests. Guys, About Abroad has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts, and if you enjoy that remote life, I think you will really dig About Abroad as well. So if you're interested in checking that out, head over to aboutabroad.com and give it a listen. And with that, let's get back into the current episode. So I think a lot of people listening probably have a similar experience, whether it's a similar past experience or currently they're going through this, where it's like multiple things at the same time, right? This Mm -hmm. is kind of like the difference between like the other path and our path is that like, you know, you know, your friend might have a job and they only do that. While so many people who are doing the digital nomad thing, online business, whatever it may be, remote work, they kind of have multiple things at the same time. And I think that it's really, really incredible. I think it definitely makes for a far more vibrant day-to-day life. But how do you manage all that? Because I think that that is really tough to be able to like compartmentalize those different projects. What has helped you to be able to, you know, do content strategy on your own as your own business, doing a nine to five, doing the masterclass that you mentioned? Like, how do you do all of that at the same time? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to be honest. It's it's a lot of trial and error, right? It's, it's a lot of falling on my face and picking myself back up. Um, I think that the, the core differences between like me now versus me even a year ago is that I set a lot of boundaries. Um, so... A year ago, when I was first starting my business, I would work on Saturdays and Sundays. And if somebody wanted a a 24-hour turnaround, I was there, you know? And now um, I only work with clients who are able to give me at least a 48 hours notice. Um, If I don't feel like I have the bandwidth for something, I'll be straight up with someone and, and, you know, like, yeah, I get that you want your, you know, your sales page now, or you want, you know, your, your content strategy right now, but my openings are you know, a month from now or three weeks from now. So um, being realistic with my my schedule and being respectful of my own time, I think has really been a, a big help. Um, I would say an, another thing is that you, I'm learning more and more is that you don't necessarily have to do multiple things, right? Like I, I choose to do multiple things because I think it gives me the, the flexibility that I crave and it gives me the the ability to choose, right? Like if I, if I want to stay in the nine to five, if I want to go and do my own thing and whatever, and, and I don't necessarily have to have my own business at the side, but I choose to keep that going because I like to have that option. Right. Um, but you know, I'm like full disclosure, like I, like I'm maxing out my 401k, I'm maxing out my Roth IRA, like I'm taking care of business, paying my rent just with my nine to five income. So I don't, like in in terms of lifestyle, like I don't really 
have to have my business. Like I'm not using my business to pay for my bills. Um, but it's just like a nice thing that I keep. And, and again, I keep the very best clients, right? It's not something where I'm spreading myself too thin for. And how do you manage your time around that? I mean, like, you know, is your is your job something that is more flexible on time-wise or is it like a very specific time set? Like, how do you, like, even though you do keep just a few clients and they're the very best ones, like, how do you still manage that time necessity for both things? Yeah, so um, I'm at a really great organization um, called B and they've been remote since 2014. So like they're not new to the scene, right? Um, they know what's up. Yeah. Yeah, they know what's up and they implement what's called smart working. Um, so instead of like you have to be in the office from nine to five, they do deadlines. They're like, OK, can mm. you get this into me by 12 p.m. on Friday. And whether you're working on that at seven in the morning or, you know, midnight, like, or nine to five, like they don't really care. They they just want you to be prompt and honest and communicative. And we have just a just a fantastic company culture. Like I can't brag enough about the, the company culture. Obviously, it you know, it's a job. You work with people. There's always going to be moments of like, uh, right. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I just absolutely love it and I appreciate it. And so that also in turn gives me the flexibility to work on what I have to work at, work on, um, outside of work as well. Right. And whether that's focusing on my business or whether that's focusing on myself, right. Which is just as important. Um, I feel like I get the opportunity to do that because they understand that it doesn't really matter what time of day something gets done. It just matters that it gets done by the time that it's meant to get done. Yeah, that's very cool. And I hope that more companies go in that direction because I truly believe that the whole old school concept of like, if you're not working eight hours a day, you're not getting your work done because we all know if like, that's not how things work and you can get your work done a lot quicker. There's some people who it might take a lot longer. And so I love the idea that they're doing kind of like deadlines. Like, hey, as long as you get your shit done in time. We don't care like, you know, when you did it or how long it took you because the value is in in what you produce. And, and I love that. Can we talk a little bit about personal finance? Because I think this is something that a lot of digital nomads really struggle with because we kind of live a, a different sort of lifestyle. It doesn't fit in as neatly into the personal finance um, rules that are set out you know, for normal people, if I can say normal people, what have you found in terms of like tips? Like what have you found really helps you make sure that you're staying within budget, that you're still setting money aside? And like, what is it like setting money aside for what? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's very mm -hmm. different now. Like how, kind of how have you approached this, this topic? Yeah. So I think that people tend to fall on either side of the spectrum, right? Like either I see a lot of people who don't have a plan at all. And that's where I was, right? Like I kind of fell into the digital nomad life. And so for a long time, I was um, traveling paycheck to paycheck, like, you know, invoice to invoice, right? I was full-time mm -hmm. um, full freelancer at that point. And I, you know, I would earn money, I would spend money, earn money, spend money. And my, my budget, if you could call it that, was whatever I made was what I was going to spend that month, right? Um, that's a terrible way to do it. <laughs> like, um, I, like if you're on that side of the spectrum, I always encourage people to come up with three types of budgets. So I call them the ramen noodle budget, the Netflix budget and the luxury budget, right? Um, your, your ramen noodle budget is 
how much do you need to keep yourself fed and safe, right? Um, the Netflix budget is like, how much do you need to keep yourself fed safe, but also like, you know, you pay for Netflix or you pay for a meal out or whatever, those like nice comfort items. And then luxury budget is more like long-term goals, like fancier things, right? Bigger purchases. So when you have those three budgets in mind, and these are especially important if you're a freelancer or a small business owner, um, based on like where your business is going, you can kind of stick to one of those three budgets and you can adjust as as your business fluctuates, right? Um, so that's for people who like absolutely don't have a plan. On the other side is people who are just like scared. Can I swear? <laughs> You can say whatever you want to say. <laughs> okay. um, people who are scared shitless, right? And these are usually people who they're like considering the digital nomad life. Maybe they have a nine to five job, whether that's remote or not. And they're scared shitless because they're used to being able to plan every single little thing. And they're like, how much money do I need to save up to be a digital nomad? Is it like $30,000? And for that, I'm like, uh, like, you know, it's it's not a down payment on a, on a house, dude. You know, like... um what I kind of tell people is I'm like, go look at where you want to travel to figure out like average costs for things, right? Like what's the average cost of an Airbnb? What's the average cost of, you know, food, uh, entertainment, train rides, whatever, like go and create a budget for that place. And then once you have three, so I always say like three months of, a of like travel money. So like create a budget, figure out what it takes for you to travel for a month there save up three months of travel money plus a train ticket or a train ticket plus a ticket home, right? You always want that kind of like emergency fund as a, mm -hmm. as a digital nomad is you always want to have, you, you always want to be able to go home, whatever that means for you. Um, if things fall apart, right. If COVID happens, COVID if, pops. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, if COVID pops or, um, you know, if a family member needs you or you just are done with the lifestyle and you want to go home, like you need that emergency fund. Um, but then once you have three months of expenses, which in a lot of places is like, you know, anywhere from like a thousand dollars to $2,000 a month, you can like live really well in a lot of places. So like, you can start your digital nomad journey with less than $10,000, a hundred percent, like, and feel safe and feel good about it. And then if you're earning money on top of that, like, you're like, you're good, like go, you know, At, like it, people who have a, a tendency towards kind of anxiety and worry, like I, f I feel like they tend to be savers and they want to like save up as much as they can. And they're worried that it's not going to work out, but um, you kind of have to have a push off point where you're like, okay, I have three months, I have my emergency ticket home. Like, what am I waiting for? Right. Then it's just mental at that point. Just go. Yeah. I also think like, in addition to that, I, I totally agree with having that emergency fund. Like that's one of those things where we'll just give you such a peace of mind that like, no matter what happens, like, even if like I run out of money now, I have a little bit of like, a little bit of time to try to figure it out. And if, you know, worse comes to worse, I can go home and I can go work at McDonald's or whatever it is. Like there's, yeah. there's like a, there's like a, a way for you to like weasel out of it, not weasel out of it, but kind of like get out of it. You know what I mean? One of the other things that isn't necessarily financial that I always talk to people who are just getting started is like, even if you have a business, like even if you know exactly what you're doing and it has nothing to do with freelancing, I think it's very beneficial to still have like, 
an asset in terms of like an Upwork account or whatever it may mm-hmm. be that's in good standing because I'll never forget listening to an interview with Louis Cole, who I don't know if you know who that is, but he's like one of the original YouTube like vloggers who was mm-hmm. also a traveler. And one of the really th- interesting things that he said was that at a time in his youth, he actually ended up being homeless in Australia. And the oh, thing wow. that he was able to help him get out of that situation is that he still had his skill of being able to build websites and he had a laptop. So he said he would literally like sneak up to like coffee shops in Australia, work with clients to build websites to get enough money to go home to the UK where he's from. And that is such a powerful story because as long as you have a good standing on a website like that and you have like an internet connection, and a computer, you can earn money and get yourself out of whatever situation it is. So I think that's just a very, very important thing to have these sort of like fallback plans uh, and to know how to handle like yourself if you're in that situation. I want to hear a little bit about, this is something that I think is a bit of a struggle for some people. It's something that I've definitely had conversations with people about and it's like, okay, so you're earning money. It doesn't matter if it's like a lot of money or a little bit of money. You maybe are putting some of that money away in like a savings account so that you have an emergency fund. But what about like that next step? right? Like what happens? Like, what do you, where as a digital nomad, can you put your money that Mm. you know that there's something there for you long-term in terms of like, I don't know, you want to retire or you get sick. Like, how do you handle that for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously this is going to depend country to country, right? Um, I'm U S based. I also have Brazilian citizenship, but I know more about, um, the United States there's equivalence to this almost worldwide. So you know, a quick Google search should, should do you good. Um, every single person in the U S should have, if you're, if you're qualified for it, um, a a Roth IRA. So there are income limits. If you make past a certain amount, you're not going to be able to do a Roth IRA. You have to do the the backdoor Roth IRA. Um, but Roth IRAs, the, the great thing about it is that, um, you're not going to be taxed when you take that money out. You're not taxed on the gains in a Roth IRA, as long as you take it out. Um, after the age of 65. So that's a great retirement uh, vehicle for almost almost anyone, right? Unless you're making a heck of a lot of money. And if you're making a heck of a lot of money, you're probably not too worried about this anyway. So, what is the, like, what's the like cutoff? Oh man. If you know off the, the top of your head. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I know, I think the contribution limits are, it's something like, and you're going to have to check me on it, but it's something like 129 for an individual. So it's, it's, it's pretty high, you know what I mean? And it's, but it, it includes, it includes like bonuses and things like that. So you have to look at your overall. Uh, so does income. that mean that you can only contribute like, let, let's say it's 129. Is it that you can only contribute $129,000 a year? Or like if you make over that per year, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA? Yeah, sorry. So if you make over that amount of money, then you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. You have to look into mm-hmm. a backdoor Roth Um if you make under 129 or whatever the actual limit is, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 129 for an individual. But if you make under 129, then you can have a Roth IRA and you can contribute up to $6,000 a year into a, a Roth IRA. So that's a pretty great investment vehicle for, for pretty much anyone. Um, the second investment vehicle, if if somebody has a business or, you know, and, and a freelancers have businesses, I think that's a funny like people are like, I don't have an LLC. Like I don't have this. I don't right. have that. Like you don't need to. <laughs> like you you have a business. Um, there's two types of investment vehicles. It's a solo 401k or um, a SEP IRA. 
Um, so solo 401k and SEP IRA, those are investment vehicles for people who do their own thing, right? So this is not like I work at a company. You can't open it if you only work at a company. But if you have a side hustle, if you're a freelancer, if you have a small business, you want to look into to those two things. Um, the differences between them are really nuanced. I think a Google search is going to be better than me trying to explain it here. Uh, but those are investment vehicles for, uh, you know, people who do their own thing. And then the other thing that I would say is like, there are so many jobs right now with remote opportunities and there's no rule that's like, oh, I'm remote. So I can't have a 401k or benefits or whatever. Like you don't have to work as a contractor. If you work remote right now, you can work as a full-time employee and you can get all of those benefits. So like, um, my employer gives me a 401k, a 401k match, um, full health co coverage, full dental, full vision, uh, just like a, an in-office job would, um, you know, PTO, all of these things. So when you're, when you're, you know, if you're a person who kind of craves that consistency and would rather have an employer, um, when you're going into those negotiations, like don't, don't let people tell you that like, oh, because you're remote, we're not going to give you this thing. No, like you should be getting full benefits if you're working a nine to five job. Yeah, I think that this concept of like, oh, you're remote, so you don't deserve either as much pay or benefits comes from like the four-hour work week in some way, because in mm -hmm. that book, he kind of talks about like, hey, in order for you to become remote and to convince that company that it's okay, it's okay to give up a little bit. But now in today's day and age, that's not the case. That business is going to make way more money. Uh, like their margins are going to be way better if you're remote than if you're actually in office. So actually they should pay you more to be remote, right? So yes. uh, don't let like companies like bully you into giving up some sort of rights in order to be remote. Just go on to the next company. Like you said, there's so many opportunities right now for remote work. Mm -hmm. um, and I absolutely agree that also if you're listening to this interview and you want to become a digital nomad, you want to go, you want to become location independent and you haven't yet, the easiest way to do that, the easiest way to enter that lifestyle is to do it through another company because then you don't have to worry about like, where is my money going to come in every year, right? It's really difficult for you to figure out a business and being location dependent. So if you want to figure out how to become location dependent first, you know, have a job. One of my really good friends, Grayson, is doing that right now where he's like, hey, I want to have a business on my own at some point, but it'd be really hard for me to figure out both things at the same time. So um, I think that that is a really, really great tip. Well, Jules, I know that, uh, you know, you have a hard out time. So I want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been a ton of fun to hear about your story and, you know, get your tips on personal finance and how to kind of have a sustainable, a financially sustainable lifestyle as a digital nomad. Let people know a little bit about where can they find you online and what sort of resources uh, do you provide for people, if any, for them to download or get access to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Jules on tap on Instagram. Right now, my account is private, but feel free to go follow me there. I'll, I'll you know, accept you as a follower, no problem. Um, that's where I do most of my communicating and people can DM me anytime, ask me questions about anything that we discussed here or any, any questions that they might have. Um, I also have a Facebook group that I run called Trusted Remote Workers, and that's um, just we're just in there like all learning together, right? We share opportunities, we share resources, um, we host little get togethers. And 
you know, I'm a big believer uh, of community. Like people don't necessarily have to learn from me, you know, but um, I'm happy to connect anybody to <laughs> whatever they need at any time. So um, hit me up. Don't be shy. Uh, start building those relationships now. Awesome. Well, Jules, thank you so much for coming on. Seriously, this has been a ton of fun. And uh, maybe someday we'll bump into Tulsa. I'm very curious to go over there and check out their uh, remote programs. Yeah, I'm a, well, I'm about to come down to Mexico after you're telling me how great it is there. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Mitko. This is great. 